0: Hi, I'm Mark Stoudemire, and welcome to the second season of Get to the Joke. And I could not think of a better way to start out our second season than with none other than Jake Matera as our first guest. Jake has uh, written for Conan, He's been to all the major comedy festivals like Big Sky and the Boston Comedy Festival. He's one of the two hosts of the very funny podcast, Stand Up Guys, and he just dropped his debut album, A Soft One, which reached number two on Amazon. Definitely worth checking out. So please enjoy this conversation with Jake, who's as funny as he is nice, and please subscribe to this channel. Now, let's get to the joke.
1: Club and a standing room only so what they do is they rent a bunch of plastic folding chairs that could maybe hold the weight of an American Girl doll and they set them up and they pull down this projector and the movie of the night uh, was Revenge of the Nerds so you can get an idea for the body type right. yeah. hefty, hefty. He- I mean. <laughs> <laughs> movie starts about five minutes in behind me I just hear. <laughs> they stop the movie, they turn on the lights, they like, What happened? Is everybody okay? Some guy fell through his chair. <laughs> and I was like, ha, What a doofus.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so relieved it wasn't me. You know? and the, the guy was fine. The, like, the chair will never walk again. <laughs> they help him up to get him a new chair, they start the movie again. A couple minutes later, over here, Somebody else falls through their chair. This time they don't even stop the movie. And now everybody's glancing back at me. Like I'm their horse. And I can feel the chair giving, too. It was just like a little plastic atlas. Like, I got you! I got you! Like I was trying to impress a girl chair nearby. It's like, it's not heavy! And it it was the whole experience was just horrible and like at that point I'm trying to do like that thing you do in public restrooms Where you like hover over the seat, you know, but I don't have the core strength So then option B is just spilling my weight out on the chairs next to mine like I'm Alex Mack Trying to be as weightless as possible. My wife gets up, she's like, I'm getting some popcorn, you want anything? I'm just like, no! Unless they have balloons, then get all the balloons again. <laughs> they say, preventive nerds, it's listed as a comedy. Feels more like a horror. <laughs> it was like, I know, like it was scary for me, but I was at Chairs Vietnam. <laughs> I'm seeing Trocadero staffers run, like bringing fresh chairs, carting off the mangled ones. And all around me in the darkness, for the next 90 minutes, all I'm hearing is <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: It just sounded like people were being raptured. Hey. Hey, Mark. What's up, buddy? How you doing? I know this looks very intimidating. I apologize. I got a new camera. Mm. Want to try it out? So I uh, for this. So how how are you doing, man?
2: We're doing great. Congratulations on the new camera. That's exciting. <laughs> yeah, we've been. Uh, I've been working from home. I switched jobs in the middle of the pandemic. Nice. Uh, so I've been working from home uh, since November, um, but that's going to change very soon. Um, and my wife unfortunately got laid off at the beginning of. Oh, geez. Um, yeah, she was like, the, her company had like a ton of layoffs as soon as this thing happened.
0: Because of the pandemic. Yeah, I think
2: it was like a combination of things, but the pandemic didn't help. Oh, geez. Um, I'm sorry. That, that
0: sucks. <laughs> but no, it's, it's all good. So,
2: yeah, she's been basically taking care of James, and we've tried to just enjoy all this family time
0: as much as we can. Got Everything going on. Yeah. People keep mis misassuming that your standup career started at the later part of Temple being in Temple University, but I found a line that included in 2007 that you create a bucket list, and one of those items on the bucket list was to try standup comedy. So yeah. wh- so, so why why um, why a bucket? So if I do my math correctly, you're you're 31 or will be 31. Is that correct? I am uh okay thirty thirty three. Thirty three, okay. Yeah. Um uh and so uh, um so why as in two thousand seven <laughs> did you decide to do a bucket list, you know, being mm-hmm. so young and why did Stamp Comedy happen to get well I think you said twenty items were on there, how did get one of the precious twenty spots? You know, I think um
2: <laughs> it's so embarrassing. I'm a I'm an idiot as you know. Uh, <laughs> And I think I just saw that movie, The Bucket List. And I was like, oh, what's a bucket list? I like, maybe I should make a bucket list. And um, yeah, it was like a thing that like, I, you know, in between songs, like my band's practice and stuff like that, I'd always just like joke around and just like make everybody laugh. And I was like, oh, maybe one day I'll give it a shot. And uh, and then I found the list a couple years later and I was like, well, oh, shit, let's, let's
0: try it. And. Yeah, that was it. But I guess what got you to put that on the list? Like, um, how did you even I, think that that I, was something that was even possible you, to do, let alone, you know, like... I didn't. I like. I didn't think, like, being a stand-up, I was
2: like, oh, I'll just try it once, and that's that. Nah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, I did it. Yeah, I, I did stand-up comedy the one time. <laughs> I did not expect it to, like, have that, that rush effect that it has, uh, and then hook me
0: instantly. That's awesome, though. Yeah, like that's really cool cool. to hear that that like that happened like pre-college, like high school high school era. That that would have been something that you had done. So, I I mean, I look at your career and you have lived a very full comedy life. You know, and just I mean, you 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 worked on Conan. You worked on uh, Preston and Steve. uh, You have been a, a regular at the two top Philadelphia comedy clubs. Um, you've been to Blue Sky twice. I, I've never heard of anybody being the Blue Sky twice except for yourself. You have been a semi finalist or a finalist in Philly's Funniest since 2014. You've, you've been, uh, in the Boston Comedy Festival and these are all goals for most people. And at 33 mm-hmm. years old, you've, oh, and the Upright Citizens Brigade that you've been a part of. See, yeah. I mean, you check a lot of boxes. Um, and I think this kind of persona that you give off is this kind of, Silly guy, you know, kind of a silly nice guy, but there's a real big drive in you, and that's kind of where I want to focus and yeah. kind of tease out your habits here and and how you write and how you pursue some of these things. Um, sure. But kind of to 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 get back to kind of the the beginnings. Um, you so you were in a band. I, you just mentioned. Um, yeah. And you go to Temple and you take a comedy writing class. It seems like you are, that you knew from an early age that you wanted to be in some kind of performing arts, whether it was music, possibly oh, com- sure. comedy, like general comedy, may not specifically stand-up comedy, but it could be late night, it could be improv. Where, yeah. where What was going on there with that? Did you, were your parents theatrical or, or was it like no. the <laughs> friends you hung out with? Were they... Um, big comedy like fans or what was it No, that got no, you into I hung, this?
2: I hung out with a lot of dropouts <laughs> and stuff. Like early on, like we would just like skateboard and stuff and just like, uh, be kind of crazy. And then I came up in that whole jackass era. <laughs> um, and before that, like, uh, as a little kid, I think it was always like wanting to be like, you know, rock star was like number one, right? Like that. And then I saw the movie young guns and wanted to be an actor for 10 minutes. Uh, and then like, <laughs> I remember uh, a couple of friends of mine in elementary school were making like their own little version of Saturday Night Live, and I like they would make it and it was like the funniest thing to me and I would just kill to be a part of it, and I like I got in like just in like just at the tail end, you know, so like they they stopped doing it like two episodes later, so like that didn't necessarily like like satisfy my desire to do it, you know? Yeah. Um, and then in high school, I was too afraid to like. You know, do theater or anything like that. I'd never. I did stage crew, and that's kind of that's where I met my wife. Um, uh, but like, you know, in terms of performing, I, yeah. I mean. I wanted to be a wrestler. I wanted to be a rock star. I wanted to be a rapper. And then for a very short period of time. And then like awesome. uh Yeah.
0: And then I was like, all right, well, it's rock star. Clearly, I want to be a rock star. And uh, that didn't happen. So I guess, like, so you had all these ambitions. Were your parents on board with this then? Were they, like, supportive of this? Or was it like, oh, this is a nice hobby for Jake? Like this is something that yeah. it's nice that he's getting friends out of this, but we don't seriously want him pursuing this. Like, what were what were their thoughts on this very early stage interest in performing arts? Mm-hmm.
2: I think it was they were they were always supportive. They were never um, they're never like you know like yeah you shouldn't do that. They were just like, yeah go for it. Why not? You know yeah yeah oh yeah you're good. And then like they were encouraging so.
0: Um, there's a good support system, which I now realize all of it was a lie. Uh, <laughs> well, I was going to say that because then you go to Temple, which is a very good school, and now you're back yeah. doing stand-up. Was there pushback then at that point? Oh, he actually is serious about getting into comedy. Let's maybe pump the brakes. Was there anything like that? No, no They were just
2: like, live your life, dude. Like, okay. We're here. We'll support you. Uh, they used to come to like my band shows back in nice. the day, and comedy was like a, hap- like a-, a welcome surprise <laughs> to them because they were like – all right, this is way earlier than staying out to two in the morning for a four-hour
0: set <laughs> while you guys play like take on me over and over. Again. Uh, well, so, so they were like, yeah, we no, were happy. Sorry, well, I want to say like, so it, it seems to me like this, all these things that you were pursuing, all these things that you kind like. Being a wrestler, being a um, rapper, these are all pretty solo endeavors. Even, I mean, a rock band, not so much. That's that's more a group. But I understand you yeah. were a guitarist for the band, right? You weren't. yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah, I, was the, I was the show pony. So, so, what, so what, what was the need to be the focal point? I mean, that seems to be why yeah. you settled. In, I mean, all these things that you've done, stand-up comedy has been mm-hmm. the most time that you spend in any single one of them. So why yeah. is it that... Being the focal point, consuming one hundred percent of of attention seems to be where you best fit. Is there a lack of that at an earlier stage in your life? Uh, I I mean I think so. I don't want to sound
2: cliche, but it's like that whole middle. I'm a middle child, so okay. Um, I feel like I'm the only boy between two girls, and um, I mean I got plenty of like attention, you know, to an extent. Uh-huh. Um, but I think there was something there. Uh, you know that I, that I didn't get nothing like that. I resent my parents or family for, but it was just something that um, I don't know. Early on, I guess, just set the course and changed my whole life to like always
0: crave this kind of attention. Okay, I, I mean I get yeah. I get that. So let me ask you this: that is, was there something with like where your siblings? was maybe was being funny or being kind of the center of attention was that kind of your competitive advantage in the family where your sis where your sisters both academically talented or athletically talented were things that you didn't excel at so what you excelled at was way different than what they excelled at yeah yeah that's a,
2: I guess so yeah that's uh I never really thought of it that way uh yeah because my sister played like a, uh, my, both sisters played like a million sports uh, and as I got older I kind of dropped them I just know from an early age like I used to have, like, a, um, this long before stand-up comedy was a goal um, and before the uh, the jackass era. I used to always, I was, like, a big fan of Tom Green. Okay. Do you remember? Oh, I'd yeah. Always ca- I'd always carry around this little radio. I'd listen to, like, that Adam Sandler CD with all those songs that they're all going to laugh at you yeah. and all that stuff. <laughs> and um, I had this little boombox. I would always put a blank cassette in there and just go around and interviewing people and my family and just like holding a boombox to their face because like there wasn't a mic there was a mic on the boombox so like I mean I've uh, I I got a bunch of cassettes from my parents house that I've yet to like find a cassette player but um, yeah it's like our trip to like Disney and I'm just like interviewing random strangers as we stop at <laughs> gas stations and just like trying to be entertaining and yeah. Well that's awesome. So it's fun.
0: So, yeah. so um, now let's roll that into you now you're in Temple okay obviously mm-hmm. very good school and the last semester you take a comedy writing class now did yeah. this was this kind of like was this a comedy writing class that you could only do in your last semester or is this something like when you were a freshman that you've been wanting or like how did you get involved in a comedy class? And then, as I find out, you failed it—you failed the course or whatever—in comedy writing. Yeah, I was pretty close to failing the course. <laughs> so, so, so um, did—how did you get the—how I mean? I hate to say it this way, but how did you get the balls to sign up for a comedy writing class, and then yeah. still keep your chin up after getting failed in it, not let that deter you, and then become oh, yeah. a top ten comic in Philadelphia, you know, today? Um, how'd you not? How'd you well, get thank into you that? For,
2: yeah, no. Thanks for thinking, thinking that of I me. Mean, that's. Uh, I mean, I could put myself, you know, at the bottom of a thousand people right now. <laughs> um, what happened was all the good comics quit, <laughs> and, <laughs> it's like a royal rumble. I'm the old, like I'm left standing, um, and I accept that. Um, no, I think uh, so. Really, like it wasn't like stand-up comedy wasn't like that prevalent in my life. Like, I had. Like, I owned, like, one George Carlin special, um, the jamming in New York as a kid, because uh, a friend showed me, and I thought, oh, this is awesome, and, like, this is kind of cool, when he's saying the F word. Like, that's the only thing that I liked about it. Uh-huh. Like, I didn't think he was, like, some genius at the time. Um, like, I can respect what he does now, obviously. <laughs> um, but, uh, like, I mean, I liked, <laughs> I liked Dane Cook. Like, I think he was yeah. the first comedian that, like, like I got, you know, dude, you don't, um, it's not that's not embarrassing. But, uh, yeah. It was like him, it was, like him, that it was uh, that. Yeah. Nick Swartzen. Oh yeah. An album that, yeah. Yeah. So like those were like the, the, the comedy albums I really like, like that's what I was into. And it wasn't like in college where I, I was like, all right, I'm going to wait. Like one of these days, I'm going to take this class. It was literally like my family's hoarders, right? They keep mm. everything. So I was like going through an old notebook or something, in the basement, and I found the bucket list yeah. that I made a couple years prior. I was like, "Oh, stand up comedy." I was like, "Huh, maybe I should." And then I was in my head, and I was picking classes, and I saw a comedy class. I was like, "You know what? Let Let's do it. Let's Let's see how this goes." And um, yeah, I did awful. <laughs> uh, it was um, It was a lot tougher than I thought. It, it covered so many different types of humor uh-huh. over the semester, from like Caption cartoon writing to, um, we didn't really cover like sitcom writing, but it was more just like, like it was gag writing, (laughs) uh, which I don't even like. I know that's still a thing, but I, you know, um, it's fine. Um, and I, yeah, I, I didn't do well at it at all. Like I had funny ideas, I just couldn't execute them. Still kind of my problem now. Um, didn't do well. I was like, all right, gave that a shot, forget it. Uh, that was probably 2000. 10, 2011 mm-hmm. and then um, shortly after um, I got an internship at Conan and um, you know I, I loved it there I loved
0: Conan I watched like every single episode and well, l- l- um, let me stop I, you there I don't want to I don't want yeah. to get there because I, I before because that's I, that's great I, 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 yeah. I enjoy hearing this kind of stuff about you um, and uh, before we begin the Conan O'Brien writing staff job you got it because someone came to Temple whose kid worked for Conan. And you just and like wow, you said, yeah. you loved Conan You really did your research, man. Really, <laughs> wow. So you loved Co- and you you reached out to him, he was kind of yeah. apprehensive about this really over excited kid about getting on Conan, but somehow you, you got he got you in touch with his son, you pled your case, you thought it wasn't gonna go well. But you ended up getting the job as an intern for Conan. Let's just talk about that period between you met this guy and you show up at Conan the, the Conan show at TB at TBS studios for the first time. What if you had to offer advice to someone and say, This is what I did, this is how I was be how this is how I persuaded somebody. I was this kid who took one course who failed it in comedy writing, and now I'm working for the Conan show. What was that spiel that you gave that guy's son? That convinced them. And then there was a woman I think of a TBS or maybe the Coding show that you talked to. What was mm-hmm. the spiel that you gave that maybe could, if there's someone that watches this, you know, later be like, oh, maybe these are some of the points that I want to touch on, kind of thing? Yeah. Obviously, passion for the show would be a big one, but what are some of the other things? You kinda of remember you kinda of, you can kinda of walk me through that conversation you had with both them. Some of the yeah, no, pitch th- them. So I think
2: I think with uh, with the uh, Greg Kassoff was the guy. Uh, who worked for Conan. He was a stage manager. Um, what I... I mean, I think what I did was I went in without a, a real agenda. Um, I had a, already applied to intern at Conan before that, um, but it wasn't my goal to kind of, like, work in, like, oh, God, bring me on board, hire me. <laughs> like, that wasn't... I would, wouldn't even... I like The okay. guy doesn't even know me, you know? Yeah. Um, so, like, literally... I just wanted to talk to him about what it was like to work with Conan and what what he did there and, like what, the, like, what it was like day to day and, like, who he met and, like, how he interacted with Conan and the writers and, like, how things played out backstage, like, you know, like, those comedy bits yeah. and, like, all that kind of stuff. And uh, it was just a genuine interest and sincerity talking with him about, like, his job. And then he's like, oh, well, you should think about, like, interning out here um, and I, I said uh, well yeah I did apply and he said oh well send me a resume like I'll like you know like we' well, I'll, I'll forward it along I was like no you don't you don't have to do that I just wanted to talk to you <laughs> yeah honestly I'm talking him out of it I was like no like, and um, and I just like no, honestly, just talking to you was enough. Thank you, because he called me in like a, I don't know if I said this in any other interview. He called me at like a really rough time, like well, my grandma, she, my mom, who like I grew up with, she like lived with us, uh-huh. was in the ICU and oh, it was geez. looking very bad. Uh-huh. And so I got this phone call, I got a voicemail, like right before I left the hospital that night. And then my grandma's doing fine; she's still alive today. Oh, good, so, good. Everything's good, but I mean, it was like very serious at that moment. And I remember, like, I was just at my like lowest low, uh-huh. and like to walk out to my car, look, recognize number. I didn't see a uh-huh. voicemail from. Listen to it, and it's like, hey, um, the, you know, Greg from Conan. Uh, I'm on my way home, so if you want to give me a call, like, I'm around for like the next half, like half hour, hour, and that's what we when we did the call. Yeah, and it just like totally turned my mood around, and it was just like was really like an amazing thing. That's awesome. Uh, but but yeah, it was like I honestly was just like. I was like, don't worry about it. Thank you for talking to me. I appreciate yeah. it. I said I applied, but I never sent him my resume. Yeah. Instead, like, he just, like, he remembered my name because I guess the, uh, his dad gave it to him and mm-hmm. just
0: passed that along to the production coordinator who called me, like, the next day. Now, did you kind of pitch yourself as, like, an idea guy? Like, here are some of the ideas I had. Here are some things that Conan does that I like that I can expand on. Or did you pitch yourself more as, I will do all the jobs that nobody wants to do just to be in that yeah. building? That's that's what I did. I, I kind of
2: uh, I would never, you know, they're professionals and like picking out the jokes and the sketches and all that kind of stuff. Like Preston and Steve, like uh-huh. like I I'd written some jingles and like done some comedy bits for uh-huh. them. Um, but mostly my work was just production focused. And uh-huh. that's what I wanted to stick with, like uh-huh. being a PA, running the grab coffee. Like I'll get your dry cleaning. I don't care. Like I just want to be in this environment. I just want to learn uh-huh. and all this kind of stuff. And that's. Uh, when I pled my case to the pro- production coordinator, she was like, "I thought I like was going in with like guns loaded with my like, President Steve on the resume yeah. and <laughs> Tampa University, you know, mm-hmm. like." And she's like, "Nothing." She was like, "Nothing about your resume impresses me." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, like she's like, why should I hire you?" And then, uh, as I plead my case, it's like because I like I care. I work so hard, like day and night, blah, blah. blah. The whole, the, while I'm pouring my heart out doing this. She's, uh, like, you can hear other people coming to her desk to like, cause she had a very busy job. Yeah. Um, you can hear like her just working around <laughs> me talking and, uh, this interview happened right after <laughs> Preston and Steve has shot me with a, a, a cannon full of, uh, clam chowder.
0: Yeah. So
2: I'm just like, I just stink like clam chowder <laughs> and I am like so depressed as this inter- oh uh, sorry. uh the interview was the next morning, yeah. but the uh, but yeah, the whole thing was just like I ju- like I felt the blast <laughs> of a um, chowder cannon. It was just at an all time low yeah. after being told like nothing impresses her on the resume, yeah. and I just made pled my case, and she was right. Like when I got there, like it was like people from like Yale, Dartmouth, Stanford, USC, yeah. Boston University, yeah. um, University of Texas, like all these institutions,
0: and then me as Temple University. LA. <laughs> Holy crap! But but so th- you find yourself in this situation a lot because fast forward, you're in Big Sky. You walk in and you're like, I'm the only person here without an agent. I'm going at people that work for the yeah. Daily Show. So it seems that this environment does you well. You like being an underdog. <laughs> you like being. Yeah. Ca- you like being kind of like the sorry sap. I hate you know like but it's yeah. it's it's what motivates you. But so do you do you kind of know what what kind of, what you said, I kind of just pitched her my thing. What do you think it was that sold her to take a chance on a guy who didn't go to Harvard, wasn't part of UCB? What was it that she was like, was it just that you knew this Greg Kosov guy and he just said, hey, can you let this guy in? Or was it, wow, of all the people we interviewed, this guy knows Conan O'Brien's show like the back of his hand, more so than I even do. Which one would you say what it is or something totally different? I
2: think it was more, more the, the stage managers help. Okay. I, th- I think like when I got there, like, oh, wow, like Greg, Greg like, so I think that guy Greg never made any like, <laughs> like a lot of people were like, oh, my niece is getting out of school, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And like a lot, of, a lot of people would push their friends and family who yeah. had an interest uh, through. And whereas this guy, I guess, had worked for the show for a mm-hmm. long time and just never made an ask. <laughs> yeah. So it was kind of like a big deal that he he made an ask. Okay. Uh, and um, yeah, so like he carried a lot of weight. And like obviously, I was like just saying like how hard I would work, and I sounded excited, enthused, and determined. Um, and I think like it was more like 90-10 <laughs>
0: him than me. On that. <laughs> well, no, because that's very lucky. That seems to be something that oh, I don't know, because you're very talented, and I know you. I know you're very humble, and, and will try to equip or make a quip that says you're not, but you are very talented. I think they made a great pick there, but it seems like. You would almost, if you had to write an advice book, you would almost say be aggressive in how you act because then to get even the helium, you had it's like yeah it's who you know but also be aggressive in using your network because. You knew this person who was booking helium through the Preston and Steve show and you reached out to them where most of you will probably be like, Oh, I'm not, I'm going to back off. Can you, so have, have, have these kind of situations happened in your life and maybe describe the helium interaction or like some things that you like, maybe yeah. can you give like advice on like how to politely be aggressive. Um, that was like a one time ask of like, Hey, can I come to your open?
2: Like, mm-hmm. you know, how do I get on your open mic? Okay. Um, Cause it was like, when I came back from California, I didn't know where where comedy happened in <laughs> Philadelphia. You know, like there wasn't there wasn't like a thriving fit. That was more like it was uh, the Philly Improv Theater used to be like a at a place called the Shubin,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, right off South Street, which was like a like a storefront of yeah. um, the fit eight people. Mm-hmm. Um, so like there was no that there was no good good. It was the Laugh House and Helium, but I didn't didn't even know about the Laugh House yet. Yeah, so. I went to Helium, I think, uh, my first time. Um, And that ask was just like, simple as like, hey, it's Jake, you know, from the press, like intern from the press, I intern from the press team, we see each other all the time. Um, I'm thinking about trying to stand up comedy. Uh, How do you sign up for the open mic? Because before, like the website instructions weren't as clear as they are now. Okay. So um, they're like, oh, okay, uh, I'll get you in touch with somebody and you'll get, you know, you'll get set up. Oh, nice, okay. Yeah. Cool, man. So that was cool. And then like I didn't see any of the – that was Brad Grossman. And I don't think I saw him again for another like three years after. You know what I mean? Yeah. I I don't think it was until after I started working in the club because like they're involved, but they're involved in big picture stuff. They're not involved in (laughs) open mic or or, like booking local talent. They leave that to the managers who see
0: the comedy all the time and they trust their opinions and stuff like that. Um, oh, cool. So um, I like that story. I like uh, it's, yeah. it's a it's a nice story. I, I do I do enjoy that. And so to kind of backtrack then to Conan. Um, yeah. You, you mentioned you said this is where I learned how to be. This is a quote. This is where this is really where I learned how to be funny and about the whole joke writing process. So yeah. you were involved with monologues. I mean, you eventually got hired as a monologue intern, which is fantastic because that's you know very sought after. What is it that you learn there? Because your style of writing jokes now is not monologue style. These are more personal stories of things that happened to you, not things that would do well at Conan. So what about what you learned there, I guess, pertains to how you write jokes now? Um...
2: I want to pull something out for you. Oh Sorry. yeah, go ahead. It's this so is dramatic. You
0: know, no, no, this is this is why I do the video thing and not like a podcast kind of thing because I like the visual aspect of it more so than the the, the uh, audio part. All
2: right, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to show this. So this <laughs> is uh, Mark Stadler exclusive, but like these are the jokes. Okay. So they like every day. Like I mean, I have I I made myself a copy of all of them because yeah. like I wanted to learn. So yeah. I would read all the jokes, um, mm-hmm. and I'm basically, uh, in this, this is Tuesday, April 10th. So that's uh, one day's April,
0: worth of jokes, that that yeah, very thick there's, packet, there's, okay. This is the first batch. Yeah.
2: So there's two batches of jokes I have today. So this is mm-hmm. the first batch of jokes, um, and this is the first collection that would go down to Conan around lunchtime, and mm-hmm. he would uh, read them all, mark them about what he liked, cir- circle the ones he liked, um, and then, like um make changes to um you know uh like little wording things that he preferred um so this is the first batch on april 10th 2012 uh you can see what did it say so what he would do after the lunch is he would sign it and then he would put the uh he would circle the number of jokes that day that he liked in the first batch
0: what is it? What would you say are the mechanics that you learned to write jokes there with that packet and everything like that you still use mm-hmm. to this day in writing jokes?
2: So the one thing I use is like when I'm struggling to, to write a new joke mm-hmm. um, that I that I took away from the Conan process is like um, and this is accessible on the internet. Laurie Kilmartin has like a list of transitions that she tweeted out that the, um, that I picked up on that the, the writers would use when they would submit their jokes every day.
1: Uh-huh. Um,
2: cause it was a quantity business. Uh, you got to see some really great jokes and then some jokes that were kind of like, you know, uh, not as great. Mm-hmm. Um, and those seeing the bad ones gave me confidence to write. Cause I thought, Oh, maybe I can write one as good as that yeah. bad one. Um, and, uh, so like taking what I take with that I still use now, um, is just being mindful of the words I'm saying from the setup to the punchline, um, of a joke. And a lot of my jokes tend to be short. So it's just like looking for ways to, if it's necessary to incorporate those transitions. Cause you know, it's all about word economy.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and just trying to, um, make sure like if, if I'm ever, like, if there's a story I want to tell or something, if I want to get on the topic, it's like taking a step back, remembering my, I, my, I call it my Conan training, yeah. and just, like, writing something out, you know, one sentence premise,
0: one sentence punchline. Okay. And use the transition and go from there and work, work that way. Just a quick plug and we'll get right back to the show. Have you checked out my website, markstod.com? It gives you a whole wealth of information To how to see me live at shows you can catch past Get to the Joke episodes and bonus content, and you can also check out some stand-up videos for myself. Please check out my website. Again, that's markstod.com, M-A-R-C-S-T-A-U-D.com. Come see me live. Also, please, once again, subscribe to this channel, like our videos, leave a comment. I'll get back to you. Now let's get back to the joke. Cool, man. Yeah. So I want to touch on a point here that came up during uh, some of the stuff I was looking in on, looking for you on, and um, and I and I promise this is maybe a little more touchy subject matter, but I, I promise it leads into questions about your joke writing. You were giving an interview, um, and I'll, I'll give a shout out to um, the the podcast Club um, obscurity. And you had talked about being um, in a sketch on the Conan show. You finally were asked to do a sketch on the Conan show, mm-hmm. and it involved when you find and you were super excited. You had you got your hopes up, and they do makeup, and they drew they drew a dick on your face, and yeah. it immediately you went from the highest high to the lowest low. And you had flashbacks, which you just mentioned, being on the Pres and Steve show. Being the guy that they shot, I think you said chili, like a chili gun or a clam chowder gun yeah. at. that. Yeah. Did it did both? By <laughs> <the way>. <laughs> <laughs> Does, so is this is this kind? Do you always feel like are is, Do you always feel that you, you're? I would say most of your jokes paint you as kind of like the butt of the joke. It's not really observational. Yes, they're personal yeah. experience, but you always kind of come out looking like the. The putts, like, oh, I'm the guy that returns white yeah. jelly. I'm the guy where the chair's are in going to collapse on my feet. I look like Chaz Bono. Is yeah. is what? What is your insecurity? Where does this insecurity lie in? Is this something that you grew up with, where you tease because of like your weight or your appearance, or what was it that when someone when you make it the cone and someone draws a dick instead of feeling happy about this dick on your face, you're going to be in a show? It immediately triggers past sadness yeah. in you. So what is yeah. what is that? What is that grow? Is this something that's growing up? And and then I promise this, this is going to lead into uh, how your jokes about self-dep, you know, how you write successful self-deprecation jokes. But kind of talk to me about this background and this sadness about maybe your appearance or your or what you perceive yeah. your your self image is.
2: So I mean, I think I've always been like a, a goofy person, uh-huh. like a. a uh, kind-hearted, kind hearted, mm-hmm. kinda again goofy, uh, which I don't know if anybody's ever
0: called themselves kind hearted <laughs> before. But uh, it's a very like, accurate uh, way to say yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, so I think Like what happens is because I'm always so goofy and like joking around, Uh I also end up being like the one in the group that like that wolf pack mentality Uh where like the one person gets separated and gets picked on. Yeah, it's always been me. Like Uh in sports, like in like on the wrestling team, that would always happen. Uh When I did football, it happened like playing hockey, it would happen like. Oh, like it always ended up being like me that it would like the joke, you know. People mm-hmm. would like hone in on. Yeah. Uh, so um, when it started happening at Preston and Steve, like you know, I was trying to be as like cool as possible.
1: Yeah. And
2: like try to get as far as a, far away from that stuff mm-hmm. as I possibly could. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like you know. Once I like started to like change my mentality to like lean into that, yeah, rather than away from it. It's like I noticed it worked for comedy,
1: uh-huh.
2: and I was in such like an insecure headspace because of like a bad work environment, like that screwed me up like a couple years before comedy. That uh-huh. like, like all my like self worth was already out the window. You know what okay. I mean? So,
1: okay.
2: um, so just like leaning, like I remember like somebody making a joke about me um i think it was bobby uh bobby slayton he's like a they call him the pitbull of comedy he was a okay. guest on President steve okay and i remember going in to take a picture of him uh because um they were like go take a picture of him for the website uh-huh. and i went to go take a picture of him and he's like look at this he's like who's this humpty dumpty trying to take a picture of me oh, geez. and like i got like a total laugh from like yeah uh, the couple of people sitting there uh-huh. but like I was so upset about that for like yeah. ever I'm like dude I don't even know you you yeah. dick like, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah so I just remember like then looking back on that after like I let go of that anger and I was just like alright well you know what like to the outside observer that is funny
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, and so like at first I would I was like selling myself out a little bit um, for jokes but I remember hearing a Ralphie May interview, mm-hmm. who I've been told I look like. Oh um, I don't think that's guys. true at all. Um, but <laughs> I remember his WTF yeah. interview where yeah. he said, uh, you know, he he was trying to always be mindful because, like, John Panette was, like, a legend before, like, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of fat like comedians.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, he was, like, the fat comic. Uh-huh. So, like, Ralphie May in the interview was saying, like, he wanted to be he didn't want to be the fat comic. Mm-hmm. He wanted to be the comic who was fat. Yeah. And I remember him saying that and I was like, Okay, yeah, I can get on board with that. Like that's yeah, I don't want to be the fat
0: comic. Yeah. I like or would rather be the comic who was fat. So no, I, I get I I get that. And that's that's a great way of looking at it. And and so this this the, the you said you mentioned that this Bobby Bobby Slayton guy who I, I don't know, but uh uh um you said you were angry at this kind of one-off comment. were were you picked on a lot then, as a kid because of your weight? Is this like just another person that's piled on top of you for all these years? Kind of like twenty just twenty five years of people just making jokes at your expense? Is that? and then is that kind of bridging into comedy because you said both your sisters are super athletic? You not so much? Was it kind of like was it kind of like, uh, you know, was this a way of getting positive attention? for maybe some self-image hangups that you had kind of thing. And yeah. Yeah. I think, it, I mean, I think
2: ultimately when, when I started like doing self-deprecation, I would, um, I figured like, what's the worst thing that like could be said about me Yeah, uh, and just start there.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So therefore it's an eight mile approach. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Like I don't that movie yeah. and just like, that final battle where he just says everything wrong about him. It's like it's literally what they do in rom coms where they're like, I know, like, remember that Dave was a Dave Premiano's joke? Where he's like, I know I'm not the the, the best looking, the kindest, da-da-da. But like you list all your fonts. Uh, and then uh yeah, then then the other person has nothing else to go on to like make fun of you. So I was like, Okay, well it's my version of sweeping the leg and um just like getting ahead
0: of it. Okay. Well, it's cool. Yeah. I like that. So let's talk about self-deprecation jokes then, because that's that seems to be the the the, the 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 meat. This is where you this is where you stand out among among other comedians is your self-deprecation jokes are better than other comic self-deprecation jokes. What do you do? What you, I mean, so you just kind of mentioned, what, what, are some of, what are some of the worst things people can say about me? Let me list them out. How do you write, and, and, and I guess, and how can you keep going back to that well and write new jokes without tiring out some of the old jokes then? Like, how are you constantly coming up with... material that is constantly putting you down and finding new ways of reinventing it and then also kind of disarming the crowd then of doing that like how are you doing these things
2: i love the idea of just reinventing the new ways of putting (laughs) stuff down um (laughs) yeah i think um so i think like you know it's obviously uh that mentality of like you know being a comic who is fat right so Mm -hmm. it's like knowing I have, like, I have that, right? And that's, the first impression is key, like, walking in front of a room full of strangers, nobody really paid to see me. Mm -hmm. Like, even if I'm headlining a show, Mm -hmm. they're not coming for me. I mean, there might be, like, two or three, you know, people now, Mm -hmm. but, like, that's tops, you know, and it's like a friend of a friend. Um, So it's like, uh, nobody really knows me, and this is the first thing they see. So it's just like, address the elephant in the room, no okay. pun intended, and it's just like, hey, here it is, get over it. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, yeah. if some jokes reference that, like my weight and stuff later, uh-huh. good. Um, but there's plenty of, um, I have plenty of deficiencies for me to, <laughs> to play on. You know, whether they're intellectual, um, uh-huh. uh, you know, just, just being, you know, my insecurity of being a good husband or uh-huh. father, and all that kind of stuff. But what I find is like when you put yourself in that vulnerable position, you tend to make yourself more relatable that way. Mm -hmm. Um, because like, even though it's like something that's like vulnerable to me and like my personal experience, it's all like, you know, it's, everybody has those same feelings, whether they're as vocal
0: about it is, you know, the difference, I guess. Okay. No, that's yeah. that's no, that's great to hear. And I guess like so, so how do you then write those jokes? Okay, so like how do you make yourself vulnerable? Because the way, I mean, I you know from from sets I've seen from the set that you sent me, and I'm I'm like I really only want to reference the set that you sent me because I'll be using that for this, you know. The jokes that are in there referencing your appearance right off the bat, you make that joke about Roseanne, you know, being from Roseanne, then you talk about the, 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 bet, the joke that you close with, which is usually a comic best joke, is this Trocadero chair joke, which is, wouldn't work if you were thin. So how do you, I guess, how do you make yourself vulnerable and write it on paper, which you do? I've seen your notebook, so <clears> how, <throat> what do you do to kind of make yourself as vulnerable as you can to kind of mine these new gems then to create new jokes? I mean, I think it's just like
2: turning off that that filter in your brain that says uh-huh. like other people are going to see this, other people are going to hear it, uh-huh. like just turning that off and allowing myself to get down on paper, how I truly feel
1: uh-huh.
2: and um, working with that and then being honest about the situation as best I can and looking for ways to insert jokes that aren't, you know that are funny, but, uh, you know, try to shy away from the easy low hanging fruit jokes and just, mm-hmm. um, like try to write something like of merit, you know? Okay. Um, so like, for instance, like the, the Trocadero story, mm-hmm. um, it's all about me sitting in a plastic chair and
1: mm-hmm.
2: that chair, uh, feeling like it's going to break at any second.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and they start like breaking, all around me, and I'm like experiencing like I'm, my anxiety is like through the, like, my blood pressure is going nuts. Yeah, and I think like um, it was more a joke about that fear
1: uh-huh.
2: of of that, which I've heard skinny friends talk about when they sat uh-huh. in like a wobbly chair or a, uh-huh. everybody sat in a chair that, that like, that's not going to make it. Yeah, so it was more about that. And then the icing on the <laughs> on the the fat cake <laughs> is, is my weight in the situation and um, the truth of like people, yeah, like I mean I'm more I was like one of the biggest dudes there, so like mm-hmm. have people looking back at you and in that moment is mm-hmm. not, not a good
0: feeling. Well, no, and, and, so, and I, don't, I don't want to keep belaboring this point, but but it's like this is what I appreciate about I, I am I am incapable of getting to that vulnerable stage, and that's kind of what I'm trying to tease out from you. I don't know why yeah. I have this. Mental deficiency that allows myself to be vulnerable. So I'm trying to see, like, how do you, you know, how do you, you know, obviously, you know, this thing with Bobby Slayton, these things trigger you and people make fun of your appearance. And now yeah. and now you're trying to almost push against that and make fun of your own things that have made you angry. Like, how do you get to be vulnerable for stand up comedy? Because obviously, if some 15 year old kid were saying the things that you say about yourself in your joke, you would feel very bad about yourself. So how do you get to that? How do you break that barrier? And then what are yeah. some things that are vulnerable that you will never discuss? Like, like for instance, maybe is there something with like a family relative that you won't ever discuss because it's too vulnerable or maybe it's like a, a situation with your wife that's too, it will only be self image vulnerability or will there other, mm-hmm. will there be other vulnerabilities that may affect other people? there's a lot of, that's a lot of verbal no, salad no, no, at no, no, you. No, no, but, sorry. um, uh,
2: yeah um so in terms of material that i i won't touch Uh um it's never for like a a situation of um like if it's about a family member i'd want the family member i know to hear the joke before i do it Uh and make sure they're okay with it Uh um I'm going to, I'm going to regret saying that one day. <laughs> um, this clip will come back haunt home. Um, but I like, I mean, there, I, you know, I, 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 I think when I started doing self-deprecation uh-huh. uh, it was because early on I didn't want to, I don't like making fun of people. I don't uh-huh. like making fun. And that's like what comedy is, is making uh-huh. fun of things. But it's like, you know, in comedy, there has to be a victim. And uh-huh. so, why not just like turn that gun on myself and, you know, take that bullet? Because there's always going to be a victim in comedy and I I can take it. Okay. Um, because I feel like I've heard, you know, I've heard horrible stuff
0: said to me and I've like thought horrible stuff about myself. So, oh, let me stop you like, right there. You, you yeah. said you weren't bully, but then you said. I've heard horrible things said about me. You talk about a terrible work experience. talk about the President Steve incident. So not bullies, but is this is a constant theme of no matter where you go, people are, you, you're paranoid that people might be saying things, I mean, because of pe- people actually saying things about you. Are you now yeah. constantly thinking that people are making quips at your behalf then if you weren't bullied? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, like, um, oh, man. Be vulnerable with me, Jay. Be as vulnerable with me as you yeah. are in your joke
2: box. I know. I'm, like, there's things that I want to say that I'm, like, centering myself. Um, like, like for instance, <laughs> yeah, like, you know I mean? Yeah, being around little kids, like, everybody uh-huh. says, like, little kids can be, like, the meanest yeah. and, like, cruelest. Uh-huh. So, like, I, I remember a Summer being a camp counselor uh-huh. and all these, like, six, seven-year-olds just going in on me. I'm like, oh, man, this sucks. <laughs> and, uh, and just, like, uh, so, you know. That, like there's it's like that like i have a cousin who is uh mentally challenged and uh-huh. i remember um we throw him a birthday party at this rec center and one uh-huh. of his buddies was there from the home that he's in
1: uh-huh.
2: and i'm like trying to play like basketball like he's in a he's just rolling around in a wheelchair. Uh-huh. Um, but it's you know, trying to play basketball. and yeah. I just remember just grabbing my side and like squeezing as oh. hard as he can oh, and like holding it. Like, I mean, there's a lot there, too. <laughs> you know, yeah. and he's just like, Yeah, you're fat. And uh, I'm like, oh, my All right, goodness. dude, uh, like, like even you're observing <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, there's only and then the Bobby Slayton, there's, there's yeah. all these little incidents yeah. like, that have happened. Like, I remember while I was working at Conan, mm-hmm. uh, you know, somebody, um, the, my the kid I was sharing a room with, I remember waking up one morning mm-hmm. and hearing him talk to the other roommates and friends they had over, because mm-hmm. like our door was cracked and they're just talking about like, because I snore and stuff like yeah. that, and they're like, uh, yeah, I don't know, he's just gonna have so many health problems and oh, like, geez. gonna die an early death, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> right, like, yeah. I, like I'm in the other, like I can <laughs> hear you guys, that's us, uh, so yeah, so. it's like it's never like. It's
1: never bullying.
0: Yeah. Like, uh, but it's always like, you know, it's stuff uh, that hurts. But yeah, but obviously you're very sensitive, as you should be very sensitive about yeah. it, because having all these all these things people say about you has ever one of those things that someone said about you made it into your act? May you turn to something? Like, is there anything someone says like, man, that would like just like you talked about the, the you know your cousin's birthday party? Is there mm-hmm. any way to that for that to get into your act? then, Or is it when it comes from somebody else, it's too personal, too sensitive that uh, it can't get I, – I, I'm not there yet. I'm not that mature. It has to be something that I recognize in myself to get into my act.
2: No, I think it's there. I think, like, if I can find the right joke for it, mm-hmm. if I can make it, like, the vessel that it goes in funny enough,
0: then it's in Okay, immediately. Is there an example remember- of that happening? <clears throat> is there an example of someone, something, something said to you that's in your act? Um, uh, I
2: yeah, there is. I just I'm, I'm having trouble because it's like it's one of those things where you say it so many times out loud and mm-hmm. like lessens its power. You okay. know what I mean? Yeah,
0: um, I get that. So let me yeah. let me rephrase and ask you this then. I and mean, maybe how do you break that barrier then? And how how, yeah. how how like how are you one of these guys that when I see you and you're vulnerable on stage and I look up to someone like that to have that kind of maturity, have that kind of self-recognition, and then not only have all that, like have that but then also have the funniness to tie oops, to tie that in. Sorry, tie that in. Yep. How do you do that? How do you break these barriers so that like it doesn't like it? Are are your jokes when you write these premises and you write a pun? Are, is there a lot of sadness in these joke books because of just writing a premise and then not having a punchline or like how do you get to those? How do you break the it, barriers oh, to, kind sure. of, to kind of make that joke then?
2: I mean, I sent you a uh, I sent you a picture of like. Uh, this is like my Seinfeld picture of all my books on the ground and it's like in that I probably have like an hour maybe an hour of material that I'm actually like Uh um, that I'll do Uh on stage and whereas I probably have another three to four hours of stuff that I haven't really even touched the surface on yet Okay, that that I could still continue to work on Um, in terms of being vulnerable I think it's just like with the self-deprecation thing early on, uh-huh. like leaning so hard on myself and making fun of myself, uh-huh. uh, at first it was like a <clears throat> it was a guard thing
1: uh-huh.
2: <clears throat> to get that out of the way.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Um, but then after I got like the first one or two out of the way, it's like, okay, time for you to actually talk about yourself. Otherwise, you're just pandering to like, um, you know what I mean? So um, with being vulnerable, I think it's just something – i I think I'm a vulnerable person to begin with. I. Uh-huh. I kind of. I'm kind of a, uh Like a natural oversharer. Yeah. So it's like finding out what's what there is to share, and. Um, yeah. Um, maybe I do it. At, uh, maybe I do it in a way that like tries to like get the crowd kind of like on my side first, and uh-huh. then. I try to find the punchline, because uh, I think I heard somewhere that like. <sighs> I can't remember who said it, but, uh, they talked about comedy is kind of like all about justice, you know? So if you have somebody like saying something terrible to someone, it's like, you want to find, like, you want that like tension release. Like, that's why jokes when people like, uh, so I said this, like works so well, like having that perfect, like what you should have said thing uh-huh. works so well in up
0: Cause it's like a justice to the like know, the premise. Yeah. I like that way of thinking. That's, I never heard that before. That's that's awesome. That's cool. I like. I it's, it's like I wrote down two notes here, and uh, it's the things that you said. And some uh, in comedy, there has to be a victim, and then you just said um, that jokes have to just serve a justice point. So there's almost you do you do take like this, the the little guy has to be the hero, the guy who has constantly in in your case this guy who's constantly grown up with you know people poking fun at you for for you know your appearance or what it happens to be you get your just desserts at the end that's kind of I mean I'm I'm seeing a lot of I'm seeing a lot of balancing the seesaw at the end of that is that kind of does that the theme of your jokes it's kind of like hey the setup is hey the jokes would be my expense but then at the very end I you come out as like the the hero kind of good good everyday kind of guy that people can relate to that people root for is that kind of where you go with your jokes Yeah, I think that's kind of
2: that. I mean, I don't think I I think about them that deeply, but yeah, I think ultimately that's kind of if you had to give it a theme, that's a strong way of categorizing it um, because I think it's just, yeah, you just like, you just want to be as funny as possible, right? Uh So sharing those personal moments uh, with a crowd of things that hurt and then finding a way to like, combat that and like have a funny line uh Uh, and 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 it's like it's just playing with the emotions you know it's that roller coaster of like drawing them in with like a sincere premise Uh which i've heard is like you want to be as genuine as you can with your premise so that's what's more genuine than being vulnerable and sharing things about yourself so
0: then using that as the setup and then releasing it with the laugh line okay that's great. And so, let me ask, do. You, do you hope that maybe one day, one day move away from self-deprecation jokes, or does that always something that you want to make sure? Is that kind of like your bread and butter? Is that kind of where, if you want someone that you want to be known for, like how Jim Gaffigan's kind of known for yeah. that kind of humor, Seinfeld for observational. Do you kind of want to be, hey, that's the self-deprecation guy? Is that, or do you want to eventually move away from that then? Yeah. No, I think. Um, I mean, I don't think it's an active choice of like wanting
2: to be self-deprecating i think Mm -hmm. that just that's just a thing that comes through um if i can get away from it great um if not um that's fine too i'm not trying to i'm i'm not like trying to coast on anything yeah no like but it's i i do like trying to challenge myself to be like more observational (laughs) excuse me and um let talk about you know talking about different things in Mm -hmm. different lights and it's always been like a challenge to like I know, like, if, I, if a, if like, a set's not going, going well, uh-huh. I will start to, like, self-deprecate even more on myself in the moment. Okay. So it's, like, those kind of things to be cognizant of uh-huh. and not use them as a crutch. Okay. So uh, it's a thing that I'm, like, trying to be more aware of in the joke writing process to get away from.
1: But,
0: uh-huh. you know... Um, I got to go where the, the laugh is also going, yeah. so. I get that. Yeah. Now, let me, let me ask you this then. Um, let, me see if I can a- let me see if I can ask it honestly and tactfully. Do you feel trapped in your self-deprecation jokes, meaning if I gave you a pill to turn your body emission to whatever you wanted to be, would you take it knowing that you may cut out a half hour worth of jokes that you spent eight years working on? Or would you be like and that's that's too I, I gotta stay in kind of where this character that people expect these jokes to be relatable to.
2: Oh, that's funny. I know. I, yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't view myself as a character. So yeah, I okay. would take that immediately. Okay. So I would want to. I would want to. Have that healthier life and okay. uh, spend more time with my family. Uh, no, no. I mean, <laughs> I, just, I, I was, yeah,
0: like, I was just interested to know if, if you know. Ten years
2: off my life for ten more years. <laughs> uh, I think I'm probably ten I was more just interested. Years. I didn't know,
0: like, if the joke <laughs> meant so much to you that, that there'd be no way that you would want, like, the like, I, I worked so hard for these jokes that I couldn't possibly get yeah. them up for any reason. They wouldn't I, make yeah. sense if I have the 130 or whatever.
2: It's, I I get that mentality for sure.
0: Like that, like, you know, these are
2: your precious jokes Mm -hmm. because like, I, I, I have that too deep down, but Mm -hmm. also, um, you can always write another joke. Yeah. And if you can't, you're in trouble. Yeah. (laughs) You know, yeah. Like that's like, that's what we do. So if you can't write another joke, then, you know, focus on that.
0: Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Well, that's great, man. That was great to hear. I love, I love hearing this stuff, dude. So let's, Let's talk about your joke writing. Let's talk about your writing routine, how you write jokes, which is kind of where this, this, this body is in. We're, we're, we're past the hour mark already. So um, um, using the, 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 uh, the event at the Trocadero, the movie, going to the movie, the Trocadero, kind of walk me through from when you noticed in your head that this could be a joke to the clip that we that you sent me can you walk me through that process like recognizing that this is funny and not only just being funny but being yeah. funny and relatable for people to start laughing and then how did you get that down on paper how did you work it out how that kind of stuff go yeah um so
2: i mean that joke is so old um mm-hmm. uh, it's so old and i couldn't figure it out so i put it away for a couple years mm-hmm. and came back to it mm-hmm. um so I think it happened. That incident happened in like 2014, 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, I was with, um, I, I think I was with Eddie Gallagher. Okay. Uh, cr- cricket. Yeah. Um, uh, comedy. Um, he took me. He was like, "Hey, do you want to go to this thing?" I'm like, "No, I, sorry, <laughs> I don't care." And he's like, "Ah, oh, but it's a free ticket." I was like, "All right, I'll go." <laughs> like, <laughs> they're like, "Yeah, the guy, like, like the, the." Revenge of the Nerds, like the cast members were there too. So oh, cool. I thought that was pretty cool. I was yeah. like, oh, it's cool. It was like, they were going to go QA and A afterwards. Uh-huh. And, um, I remember my buddy, uh, my singer Bubba at the time uh-huh. also went with his friends and I knew he was going, which is why I decided to go. And he, they were sitting in the row in front of us. And soon as like the movie started, just like I say in the joke, people started going <laughs> through chairs. I think I think like a total of four chairs broke, mm-hmm. but this four chairs <laughs> too many. Yeah. And they were in that plastic chair yeah. and it was a sold out show. Yeah. So like I was just losing my, cause I'm sitting in the middle and mm-hmm. I was cl- clearly bigger than both the guys who mm-hmm. went through before. Mm-hmm. And just like having that like panic of like, you know, at any minute this thing could go. Yeah. And it's like, like there's the cast members right there. It's like, <laughs> I can't get up and like, it would look like I'm storming the stage or something like that. <laughs> so I was just like, uh I had to sit through this in agony. Uh and it turned like this whole like comedy movie, like I think a line I had before is like turned a comedy into a horror. Because it's it's just like me freaking out the whole time. And um there's like I I was supposed to be enjoying it, but I couldn't wait till it was over. Yeah. And just like after like the third or fourth chair broke, I'm like, this is This is comical, but also I'm terrified. So now you're with uh, with Eddie
0: Gallagher, who's another comedian. Does he lean over to you and go, "Hey, this is this is something that that we could use on stage," or does he does he are you kind of like are you guys like on the same page with this is kind of funny kind of deal, or is it like? Hey, this, this you you didn't realize that this is a joke yet in the moment. You're more concerned about getting out of there, you know, yeah. Without,
2: yeah. I think we were we were all just in the moment just in the okay. early night, like wow, this this is a crazy night. Yeah. And then like and then like, you know, I again I'm an oversharer. Yeah. I think I showed up to like the Delco open mic yeah. and like not, maybe didn't prepare anything. So I just started talking about like how I went to this movie last like last week with the cast of the movie there. And, mm-hmm. Then I started talking about the chairs breaking, and I was like, "Oh, mine didn't break." And then, like, I was like, "Huh? Okay. Like, maybe there's something there." And then, like, trying to play on like that kind of like, um, the, you know, like, just that like anxiety of like waiting for something to happen. Yeah. Um, and when I decided to revisit the joke, it was after I. Had done this car wash joke that I'd done for yeah. ever. So I'm as, sorry. Like, you closer. said you tried
0: it at the Delco Open Mic right after it happened, but then you said mm-hmm. it, 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 so. Did, did it not go well? and You're like, he like backed off. Are you are you getting into it right now? This is what you're getting into. Why it took. So many years. kind yeah. of. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, i yeah, so, so
2: basically I, I mean, when I took it to the Delco open mic, it was me just rambling into a microphone.
0: So you had um, nothing written down at this point. This was just still fresh in your head and you were just spouting off at the mouth kind of thing. And yeah. Just, okay. Yeah, yeah.
2: So I was just talking about it and just like trying to, like I record all my sets. Mm-hmm. So I was just going back and listening to see if there was anything I said that I could keep from my rambling.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, there's a couple things that I like, I, I don't think they're still in the joke now. But like, you know, I think what what made the joke so work so well was like my attitude. Like I, I was like putting myself in the joke. Like so that being nervous and awkward kind of thing worked for me. Uh-huh. So in the situation now I'm revisiting the Trocadero joke a couple years later. I think the thing that made the car wash thing work was that I was so committed to being in the moment uh-huh. in that joke,
1: uh-huh.
2: like when I was when I was telling the crowd the experience, I wasn't just telling; I was like reliving the experience while I was happening. So then it was like my goal to try to make that in this joke. Okay. Uh, and yeah. And then just try
0: to tag it as much as I can with as many funny references as I could. So let me then let me ask you let me ask you this then because based on some of the stuff I've heard you in interviews before, um, you I you you talk about um, if a joke gets if you tell the same joke over and over again you have to keep the same enthusiasm. You mentioned that if a joke gets too stale, you'll try to switch it up a bit by doing like a new perspective or by putting some refer tags. How are you? I guess, first question, do you work out material on the stage without having been written down first? Second question then is, how do you relive a moment so that you're almost flashing back like in Vietnam and reliving that experience to the stage, but then also like trying to think of tags and stuff? There's two questions there. We're going to answer both of those.
2: Yeah. Um, so I think in terms of reliving it, I mm-hmm. think it's a thing of just like, you know, when I try to do that, uh, in my jokes, it's, it's actual experiences and actual Uh feelings that I've had. So just bringing it up is trying to like, recall those feelings and then convey that to the audience.
1: Uh
2: Um, and that's how, like, I mean, just trying to keep, it's like, almost like, uh, it's almost like acting, you know, it's like, you're just trying to like, keep hitting that mark of like what you're supposed to feel in that moment rather than kind of be over it and like eyes glazed over. (laughs) Um, and then, uh, the tag thing is really hard to do, um, in that situation because, um, like you're, you're so in the moment you have Mm -hmm. to be in the moment. So then coming up with tags kind of takes a backseat sometimes. Um, so, uh, with the, with a joke like the Trocadero one, uh-huh. uh, or the the car wash one, where there's it's a story, it's like I tend to be less animated telling that joke at like an open mic, where it's just c- comics. So then that kind of gives me, and I'm repeating it so many times at that point at a at a le- like kind of like at a lesser excitement, um, and that's my way of kind of like you know getting through the beats that way and then trying to find the tags along the way, um, you know, to the silence in the op- in the open <laughs> mic room that they're in. And it's something I, like Chris Rock would do mm-hmm. where he would go try bits out monotone
0: to see if the material was funny before taking it out on like a big world tour. So, so then let me, so, did, um, do do you work out material on stage or if I see you tell a joke, I am certain that Jake has written something in a notebook somewhere before he came on stage and said that, or is it possible that it's just so fresh in your head that you don't want to write it down yet? you want to kind of work it out on stage and then go from your recording and write. How do you, is it, what comes first chicken uh, or egg? I think it's, it's right now. It's like a hybrid of
2: both of those things, mm-hmm. but most of the time I, I don't like to go on stage unless I have like, um, like a, like a, the bones of a joke in place. Okay. Um and if it's fishing for like that big punchline, that's fine. And, like at an open mic, not at a show, obviously. Uh-huh. Um, that's the like I think that's the difference. So, um, yeah, like I know before the pandemic happened, I was a lot more loose with how I was delivering my jokes. Um, and because I've told them so many times, it's like looking for different angles and and different punchlines to hit it. Uh-huh. Um. And I started, like, finding lines, like, purposefully, which was nice. Because in the past, a lot of my riffs, my accidental riffs uh-huh. is, like, what made it into the set. Yeah. okay. Like, I'm still, I, like, I'm very funny accidentally. But then it's, like, when you try to be funny, it's, like, not that at all, you know? Yeah. So um, I think that was, like, the big thing. So I feel like right before pandemic, I was... I was finding, finally finding how to be funny on stage <laughs> purposefully,
0: and, and now all well, that's gone. But that's gone. <laughs> no, dude, I, 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 I don't think so, man. You were funny when I saw you a couple months ago, man. I don't think you've lost too much of that at all. Um, I guess, so let me then ask, um, as far as like physically writing your joke, especially pertaining to your Trocadero joke, can you tell me like how the writing process goes? Is it very still Conan? one sentence one punchline and then you'll work it out from there yeah yeah it's funny can you kind of walk me that, like I, specifically with that Trocadero joke like how it kind of like developed and then kind of yeah. tell me that much so that's one where like I also
2: I had a lot of issues with so mm-hmm. like I ran that one by by Chip mm-hmm. uh, before and he kind of gave me that same advice of like you know if you're writing a story like beat it out like you know one line to mm-hmm. try writing a punchline it's mm-hmm. like okay it's like stuff like I had already known but it's like stuff that like you, you sometimes you get away from and you need to hear it again yeah um, and I think it was like one of those things where it's like I knew the beats of the story and I knew the pertinent information but I also knew the other stuff that made me laugh uh, that wasn't as pertinent but the laugh wasn't as like it didn't deserve to be in there Okay. so it was like uh, slow process of removing all the things that I liked, uh, from the joke and just being more in the moment and like being more focused Uh because like doing a lot of jokes with similes where you're like, Oh, that's like this. And that's like that. And like, that's like this, you can lose people quick if you have like a hundred of them in one story. So it's just like more than in that moment, then it was like, like leaning in on the attitude of the joke of like the nervousness, uh, I'm, like, basically, like, awaiting my execution uh, and finding the different punch lines um, that
0: way without going too off topic. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, well, well, then, can you walk me through how, like, I love that you said, like, I'm that chair's Vietnam or, or you know, it's like, how did, yeah. you, how did you get that? Because that works so perfectly in the structure of the joke. How did you get Vietnam? Like, where did that come from in that joke? Um, I think that came from like talking
2: it through with chip. We were just, we were talking it through a bunch of different scenarios. And, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there was a couple ones and I can't remember if he said it first or I said it first, but we were both just talking about it and then trying to find ways to make it like Vietnam. Okay. And then, then it was like the, uh, you know, um, like, hearing the sounds all around you in the darkness, like, I mean, that's like every war movie, right? So it was just like, uh, just playing up on that a little bit. Um, and it just came from like a situation of like, you know, we like what's like what's happening in that moment. It's Uh like, it's dark and we're watching a movie, but they still keep stopping the movie every time somebody falls. (laughs) So then like, what else is this like? And it was just like, Going through all the different scenarios, and I'm sorry, I wish I had them all like listed in front of me about, because yeah. like, I went through like a million different ways to try to say this, mm-hmm. um, but that was the one that just kind of felt like most, uh, that rolled off the tongue the like, easiest because there was like a million like contrived versions of it, yeah. but it was like it was like watering it. No, I don't say watering it down, but getting it to Vietnam because it's an experience um, we're all familiar with, yeah.
0: and. Yeah, I like that, and I like so. Tell me why. So I didn't know that Eddie was your uh, your date that evening, um, but you switched <laughs> you switch it to the joke for it being your wife. Is wife funnier yeah. than friend? Why switch the wife in the joke? And
2: because doctor? I uh, it was yeah it was um it was a mindful decision to switch to wife because uh, then I could tie it into all the different failed dates and different bits I had with my wife at, at, the, at that moment to turn it into like, you know, a guy talking about his relationship with his wife and being like a doofus husband and all these different dates like that have gone wrong than, uh, than me trying to find a new way to sho- shoehorn in me and a friend.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. Um, so... Well yeah. I like that because then you talk. she goes to the concession stand and what do you get and you said do you did you have balloons? Where does yeah. is, that, is that is that another thing that you and Chip are just talking back and forth and that comes from that or were, were uh, like was it like a year after telling that joke you saw up and go, Oh my god, like where does where where do these different yeah. where do these different <laughs> pockets of hilarity come in, you know, into the joke? Mm-hmm. Is it all at the same time in a conversation with Chip? Or is it sporadic throughout the year yeah. kind of thing?
2: It's definitely, it was definitely sporadic. Like, okay. um, Oh yeah. I think that was like after just seeing up and I even think, I even think there's an instance where there is like a chair floating uh, <laughs> with balloons tied to it in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, I think we, uh, I remember, I think I was talking again, I was talking to Jeff Howard yeah. on this one and, uh, we used to go like walking at this track and talk through jokes and stuff yeah. as like just ideas we had. And, um, just just talking about different ways to like, I was talking about like the one line that I, I think mm-hmm. I cut, uh, is that like I would put my arms out on the chairs. Like I was an Olympic ringist <laughs> like, which, and like, yeah. you know, that struggle thing. So like <laughs> I had all these like different ones about ways I can like lighten the load, yeah. so to speak. And, um, yeah, I think it just like, then we just got talking about Up and it was like, uh, uh, yeah, it was just like, a, like dude, you should just tie the balloon to the chair. I'm like, you're not going to have balloons at a movie night.
0: But, <laughs> all right. This is silly and let's do it. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so, when you get a joke like that, do, do you do you carry yourself around? This is more like the mechanics of, like, the. this is the stuff that just gets in my head. Do you carry around, like, a pocket notebook that as you talk out with Jeff, you're like, whoop, ow, up, and you put that in a notebook or, or a phone? Or how do you capture great ideas when you hear them? Like, or, or is your brain just work so well that you can remember for, day, you know, for the next day? Oh,
2: and, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I'm terrible with memory. Okay. Um Okay. Yeah, it's immediately pulling out a notebook and like writing it down. So you do
0: care. I mean, your um, notebooks are pretty thick, so you have like a pocket notebook that you like to use. Is that correct? Or yeah, do phone. yeah, there's a yeah, yeah, okay. there's a few pocket
2: notebooks that I'll, I'll carry, or um, like Evernote on my phone or okay. some kind of app. Like I'll text myself a lot, um, and yeah, it's
0: just capturing those moments immediately as they happen. Uh, that way, I don't forget anything. Okay and then and then from this pocket notebook you then have the notebooks that you sent me these kind of leather bound you know more professional looking notebooks is that where you're sitting down and you think about your your experience of the Trocadero and you write out the funny things like chair like around you chairs are falling and you just write out things that could be funny and then you take yeah. and then do you take kind of like what you call bones do you take them into a uh, a situation like an open mic yeah
2: so it's just like so I'll transfer it from the little book uh, to like my joke writing book, which uh-huh. is where I'll, I'll write out the the, uh, the beats and I'll try to write a punchline for each beat. Um, then take it to the mic, see how it does. Listen for like that, like, you know, at open mics, it's like trying to be familiar enough with those rooms. Like you want to go to different open mics because uh-huh. you're getting different crowds, but uh-huh. you also want to be familiar with the, with the sounds of the room. So um, like, 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 I know what I'm looking for in terms of, like, audience reaction. So just trying to get each punchline to at least line up with that. Okay. Um, And then it's, like, I'll do it the same way for about a week, like, without even, like, tweaking it. Uh Um, I'll be thinking of different ideas and writing them down as I go throughout the week. Um, But it's not like New York where you're going up six, seven times a night and only getting up, like... I might get up six, seven times a week if I'm lucky for mics because mm-hmm. then the weekend's like the paid stuff where you're not supposed to be digging mm-hmm. around. Yeah. Um, so um, I would then listen to all the tapes from the week mm-hmm. um, because you're then listening to it instead of saying it on stage because, yeah, you're saying it on stage but you're in the active voice when that's yeah. hap- Like you're in the active brain when that's happening. Um, listening to it from like a passive setting of you just listening to it with headphones in. Mm-hmm. Sometimes like, well, just taking a walk or something. Um, like it will tr- like, set off the part in your brain to like think of a tag because how many times have you watched somebody set and they're saying a joke and you're like, oh, here's a tag. Like yeah. here's a tag. like, yeah. So it's like you're listening to somebody else. You try to like take yourself out of it and your ego and just like listen okay. to it like you're
0: listening to somebody else's set and try to think of a tag. OK. And then how do you prepare that joke to get on – stage then with like we but even on an open mic you go over it or is it kind of like just from writing down the bullet points like how do you Mm -hmm. know what how do you know what you're going to say when you're going to say it like the first time that you may tell a joke
2: once i take it uh once i put it in like my book Mm -hmm. um it'll probably go through like one or two um like small revisions Mm -hmm. sometimes uh before Uh, I get very, like, dead set on, like, the... This is a a bad trait to have, but I get very dead set on, like, the structure Uh immediately, like, as soon as I write something. So sometimes it's a thing where I get I get hung on that for a few weeks, and I got to learn to, like, break that up and, like, switch it all around because sometimes just moving, like, that that ending to the beginning and, like, you know, just switching out a middle piece or just taking out a middle piece Uh makes all the difference in terms of the flow of the joke. So, um... Uh, did I did I answer the question? No, you did. did I jump
0: No, in? no, no. You did. Well, then let me talk. Let, let me ask you this then. Uh, how much does social media come into some comics? Like to test test out premises on social media. You don't. I don't. I don't have. I don't have Twitter. I have it, but I don't get, like. I, but on Facebook, you don't seem to be that kind of comic on Facebook. Or, or are you like that more yeah. on Twitter? Or like, do you test out? Is there any kind of. Anonymous um, buy-in from the Twitterverse or whatever or any other means that before you tell a joke that you get buy-in from. That's not uh, chip, I, I think, yeah, I, um, I think I
2: tested, I would say I tested more on Facebook than I do on Twitter. Oh, you do? I have oh. a Twitter. Okay. Uh, I do. I just do it. I don't do it as frequently as, as other comics. Okay. Um, I do it. Um, I usually do that with like, Ideas that come into my head immediately Uh and I get excited about so I'll just like send them out And then see how it's received and see if there's anything I could build upon there Okay Um, But but, but, like if I have like a funny idea of like oh this could be a joke Uh like a story thing that's Uh like That's not something I'm tweeting because there's too much
0: to put there you know Uh So you're the jokes that I look at when you what you send me are just like very just kind of sentences, kind of you don't write out verbatim what you're going to say. So there is like almost this happy medium of part of it's written and part of it's kind of in the moment, feeling the crowd. Maybe like what you said of those kind of like awkward, um, uh, riffs or, you know, tags that just come out like those I think you call them accidental tags. Like yeah. is it, is it, is it half written half on stage? That's the, that's the formula to a Jake Matera joke.
2: I would say, um, it would be like uh, 70, 30 written. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I usually go on stage with a, with an exact script mm-hmm. yeah. uh, of exactly oh, you what did. I want to say. Okay.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't know that. And, okay.
2: And I've learned, I've just learned to write conversationally. Like, I'm a terrible writer now because <laughs> I've forgotten how to write, I like, forgot grammar and like structure of like a, yeah. writing like a... Like a, an essay and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Instead, it's just like I write so conversationally. Yeah. Like I worked so hard on doing that by writing like a stream of conscious journal, mm-hmm. um, something like Mitch Hedberg did um, that I picked up on, and then just journaling all like my journal. I at least try to set that discipline up to like at least once a day uh, of going through like the thoughts as they pop in my head and not letting my hand stop on the paper for at least fifteen minutes. Okay. Um. So you fill like three, four pages up that way, in like books, like I got like one of these right now that yeah. I'm working on. Um, and it's uh, yeah, it's just filling them up, and then going back through that like frenzy of writing and trying to see if there's anything I could pull from that. Okay. Um, and I think I yeah, I think I shared examples of like yeah random scribbles with <laughs> like highlighted parts. Yeah.
0: I th- I think I did that, and that's kind of like what that is. That's me pulling from that. Let me. You just brought up a question I want to ask you. How how many? What is your writing like? A daily writing? Do you have a daily writing process? How many times are you writing a week? You just talk about the stream of writing journal, but what is your if you have one daily commitment to comedy?
2: Yeah, um, on a daily basis, it's the it's probably the stream of consciousness journal. It's probably that's what I'm doing every single day. Um, if I can. You know the goal is to give yourself more time than than that like uh-huh. the 15 minutes but you know with when you're uh working full time you have a kid yeah. all that kind of stuff sometimes you know life gets in the way and there's uh, you know there's a million other premises and things that i'm dying to work on i have like ideas for jokes that are like five six years old uh-huh. that i still haven't developed that's driving me crazy so uh-huh. it's like um trying to take times and revisit old ideas when I have, like once I get past the stream of consciousness um, and uh, trying to work from those ideas uh, and creating something and then moving on, like move on pretty quickly. I'm not going to lie because, which I should probably sit in it a little bit longer, but ultimately I've sat in this stuff for a long time, but you know what I mean? So it's like, it's hard to justify like when you have such a small window of writing, justify mm-hmm. sitting in it. Do, uh, but stuff, so of
0: what you got to do. Do you joke hop every day? Like a joke that you wrote on Monday, you'll write a different, like you'll, you'll maybe you at, you'll think of a different joke on Tuesday and then you may revisit a, a different joke on Wednesday or is it always, yeah. are you working out that joke until you can put your stamp approval on it until you can get it on stage? Is it just like or is it just yeah. one joke is in your head?
2: It's a, um, it's more joke hopping until one like magnetizes. Okay. And and then, then I get fixated on it. Like I know it's going places like this year alone. Like I've already written like, uh, like three or four different things that I was excited about to make a bit. Mm -hmm. And I've already forgotten about three of them. (laughs) I mean, they're all written down, but like, uh, yeah. Like revisiting them and being like, Oh wow. Yeah. There was something there that I was playing. Like, um, I think like, I sent you an example of me like writing down the initial idea about like uh, being an adult feeling like a kid yeah um, and like you know how I'm just always eating Tom's I'm eating Tom so much mm-hmm. and like I should put it in a Pez dispenser because <laughs> like that's a, like I'm a child and then like, refi- like coming back to it writing it all out again and then like okay try rewriting it mm-hmm. and like try rewriting it and try because re- the is in the rewriting yeah. like most of it's you know, for like the good jokes, so there was a situation where like I had like a half a page of just rambling about being an adult, feeling like a kid, and and half wanting tums, to uh, which the finished product, which I think mm-hmm. I sent you, was like, like I'm an adult, but I like, but I still act like a kid, like, like I'll carry tums with me, but I'll carry them in a pez dispenser. <laughs> um, the wording is still, uh, yeah, you know, still working. I like the product uh, though. Still new, but yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, so it was like and I felt like that's like a tighter joke mm-hmm. now that I can
0: build on like that whole premise after that. Okay. Um, yeah. So let me. So the one thing that I want to talk about, and we're already talking about right now, is editing. And you made a vi- one of the things that I felt was the most passionate thing that you have ever said in one of your interviews was that yeah. you were almost no nonsense about. Where did I put it here? Um tightening important you said there's you importance in tightening up jokes. you refer this back to your monologue you monologue writing days if any if anything I've heard you talk about, the tightening of a joke seems to be where your biggest emphasis was in a joke writing process. What is your yeah. you have a very strict process of what gets in your jokes and what gets so tell me how do you edit your jokes kind of thing?
2: I think it's it's more of like a mental mindset of that's that's exactly what I want to do uh-huh. because I I do feel like a lot of my jokes, especially my newer jokes, I do ramble a lot because I'm still trying to search for the punch.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Um, so I'll, I will ramble a lot while trying to find how to get through it, uh-huh. um, and it's it's making sure I finally like I know when to like pull the plug on all that rambling and just get to the meat of it.
0: Okay. Um, Well, how, how, how do you get to that meat? Tell me how you, what is your, what is your uh, barometer on this gets in? This doesn't get in. I think it's like accepting
2: that these jokes that I like accepting that the jokes are funny, but not the best like place for them.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And just like, Telling myself to hang on to him for maybe like a later purpose, um, you know, you can always reuse a like a joke that you cut somewhere else uh-huh. uh, if you if you frame it correctly. So just like letting myself have it for later, um, and ultimately, I think it's like that tightening comes from the crowd reaction and the crowd uh-huh. response. I on want uh-huh. like I want to kill like I want to do well. I want to like be successful with this. So getting a smattering of laughing through a three minute bit isn't worth like a pop at 30
0: seconds. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so you, it's just like, do you have a goal yeah. laugh rate? Do you like someone's got to be laughing every five seconds or I, I, I'm scrapping this kind of thing. Is that kind of where your head goes?
2: I think it's just like trying to, yeah, you know, just from trying to find the best possible punchline And immediately going there. Okay. And then, if if I can somehow build on that, that's a bonus. But if I'm, if I'm like, I don't say phoning it in, but if Mm -hmm. I'm like meandering before I get to the big punch, Mm -hmm. it's like, know you're dicking around and cut that stuff. So you know, you know, get to the funniest thing first,
0: and then tag it. Don't like try to be cute before you get there. Okay. Okay, cool. And so when do you know a joke is done or is a joke never done? Will you revisit a yeah. joke that you've been telling for five years and see, what can I do more with this? Or is there a process where you're like, check, I can put this in my, my my headlining set. I don't need to revisit it. I can just go back and look at new stuff now. I
2: think it's like, um, like I, I, I would say the philosophy is like a joke is never done. Mm-hmm. Um, That being said, um, I'm not like constantly rereading over like the Trocadero joke, Uh looking for ways to improve it. I probably should be.
1: Uh
2: Um, But um, like I've I've put enough pain and (laughs) struggle in that one. Um, So what I do is like when I'm telling it and Uh I like, you know, the more and more I tell it one way. Um, and the more and more it works and my confidence grows with the way I'm doing it, I'm becoming more animated
0: and confident. That's it for my questions. Like my, my point, I just, I, these are now like the wrap up part. I kind of wrap up. I have three things I kind of wrap up with you with. And the one is, what is your ultimate goal? I, I, I wrote down here what I think it is, but what is what is your High watermark to achieve in comp and in, in comedy it doesn't it need to be? Cause I know you have your your hands in different buckets with improv and stand up and and sketch, but like, what is your what is your, what is your ultimate goal? What is the I I you know I can die now kind of goal? What do you think it is? I'm curious. Uh, uh, I wrote SNL. Oh
2: wow, uh, that's a bigger goal than I had for myself. Um, honestly, uh, I haven't thought much past. Like a late night set. That okay. would be uh, – it would be my dream to go back to Conan to do a late night set. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's – unfortunately, that's not going to happen because the show ends in June. And, <laughs> but uh, he, he does know, a podcast now, right? He's doing a podcast. He's pod- a podcast. But yeah, that's like reserved for like A-list and who he wants to <laughs> speak with. Okay. Um, and he's going to be coming out with an HBO weekly show. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, mm-hmm. a late night set it doesn't hold the same gravitas as it did like when gary Shanling was there yeah. like you know ellen and like uh, all those people getting called over to the couch like yeah. that doesn't exist anymore
1: yeah
2: but um my high watermark would be getting a, a late night set and okay. after that like i wouldn't know what to do with myself <laughs> and i have friends who've done it i like i have um i have friends who like uh, in, in the Past uh, the last uh, Boston Comedy Festival that was in person, uh-huh.
1: uh,
2: I was on the semifinals night with a buddy of mine, Pedro Gonzalez. Yeah. Um, and he went first in the night. We were in the same lineup. He went first. I went sixth. Uh, I advanced. He did not. Uh, but he also left there that night to, and went directly to the airport, flew to Colbert, <laughs> taped a show, <laughs> then came back because he, like, it, I think, like, he thought. He's a very funny comic and yeah. he very much deserved to be in that competition. So I thought he, like, he, he had a ticket coming back. <laughs> it was yeah. a round trip book. <laughs> so, um, like there's instances like that. And like Caitlin Palufo is an amazing comic and mm-hmm. a friend of mine, like, you know, still, we're still like still doing bar shows, still doing rooftop shows, still doing yeah. zoom shows. Uh, Andrew, or Ruffalo out in Oakland, same thing. Had a cordon set. Mackie Leaper, like, yeah. um, it's not a game changer anymore, yeah, yeah. but um, it's just something like it's something in my head. It, it's like you've arrived.
0: Yeah. You know? Okay. Um, going back to that bucket list, how many items have you been able to cross off of those 20 besides now stand up comedy? We know that's one. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, if I knew what was on that
0: button, I'm <laughs> All if right, I fair knew. enough. Fair enough. Um, um, I'm going to ask you one question off camera, um, that I would, but uh, the, other, the other one I want to... Seven end, inches. Uh, <laughs> I want to end on it. You had talked about Big Sky and you said that you had had a conversation with the guy that booked it and said, I really liked you, the video you sent, but I clicked on one of your sketches and that's really what sold me. Um yeah. do you would you recommend going further? if you in these com- competitions especially these kind of high level like these high side county festivals, is it important to have other stuff viewable to these bookers other than just one video that you were using the book with?
2: I think so. As long as you're uh proud of the thing and it's not just some like half ass thing. Mm-hmm. Um I know that goes against kind of like all of my videos. <laughs> Things that are all kinda of like half-assed. <laughs> no, but, dude, they're uh, hilarious, man. As long as you're proud of the comedy in it, yeah. uh, why not put it out? Because uh-huh. it could be the make or break moment. It could okay. be the thing that like they they just want to know a little bit more about you and that could be that could be it. Cool man. I like yeah. it. Well cool, man.
0: We're done.
1: <laughs> I know, that's it for me. Thanks so much.
0: Well that's our interview with Jake. I know you enjoyed it. Please check out his comedy album, A Soft One. Uh, It is an incredible album that you won't regret getting. Um, And also, please, once again, do me a favor. Subscribe to this channel. It helps me out so much. Leave me a comment. I will get back to you. And check me out live at a show, which you can see at my website, markstod.com. Till next time, I'm Mark Stoddermeyer. Goodbye.